0: Welcome back to the Home with Havila podcast. Today, Havila is continuing her spiritual gift series with a very special guest, her dad. You're going to get to hear some of her dad's story and some amazing testimonies. So listen in as they dive into the nine spiritual gifts and how God can use different gifts through you to minister to the person in front of you. And did you hear... The doors are officially open to sign up for Havilah's free new annual and global Bible study called Discovering and Activating My Spiritual Gifts. It's 15 days of about 10 minute videos to help you walk out the life you were called to. So make sure you go sign up now at spiritualgiftstudy.com and we encourage you to go pre-order the book to go along with the study so you can really dive in. It's available on our website at shop.truthtotable.com and it's now available on Amazon. Okay, let's get to this amazing conversation with Havila and her dad. Hi, you guys. Welcome to the Home with Habla podcast. I'm your host, Havala Cunnington.
1: And today we are jumping into a topic that I think most Christians completely either don't know about or have heard about it, but have forgotten about the topic. And um, if you caught last week's, I hope you did. You got to hear really, a, a, I want to call him a theologian, although it's not technically his term, but Joel Matamala is incredible. He's done a ton of research and learning. He works as uh, the head of the academic world at Proverbs 31 Ministry. And you heard he actually studied all different places. And we had a great conversation on the theology of this topic. So if you're stuck there where you're like, you know, I love this. I don't believe in it. Or I don't know why or how or what I believe. You're going to want to go back to next week and listen to our introduction to discovering and activating your spiritual gifts. Today, I have a special guest. I have known him for a long time. Uh, We have spent many years getting to know each other. This is uh, my father and friend, Francis
2: Anfuso. Hi, Dad. How are you? I have a lot. I'm doing awesome. I'm excited to be with you.
1: Now, some of you might be listening to this voice and thinking, this sounds vaguely familiar. How do I know this voice? Well, if you've listened to K-Love or Air One, you will hear my dad, Francis Ampuso, do the Pastor Minute. And how many years have you been doing that?
2: Uh, 11 years.
1: Only 11 years. <laughs> so how did you get that gig? No.
2: <laughs> it cost a lot of money. cost a lot of money. <laughs> Actually, the um, the vice president of programming at that time was attending our church and just one day said, hey, would you like to do a one minute spot on K-Love? And I said, sure. And I've done almost 1,700 since then.
1: 1,700 one minute episodes. I know it's been a while because you usually read it to us first as a family and get our thoughts. And then you'll hear my dad say, what do you think about this? And he'll read it. And then a little while later, you'll be in the car driving down the road, and you'll hear the pastor minute come on Caleb, and you'll hear him say exactly what he shared at the the kitchen table. So that's pretty cool, and you have a pretty incredible lineup with a lot of those ministers. But today, I invited you on the podcast because you and I have been talking about this specific topic for over a year, and what many people don't know, and maybe I should give you more credit. This is very small credit to what you do, but you actually help me write and not write in terms of content, but you help look through every single word and line of every book that I write. So <laughs> I, I don't know if that's called a co-author. I think it's more like an editor, but you're definitely the, one of the chief editors of my books.
2: It is a joy, Havala. And a lot of what you say is true. Actually, <laughs> that is exciting. Yeah.
1: Uh-huh. Well, it's usually about women in leadership that you have a problem with, but most often,
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: but most often we we do agree, and it's pretty cool because, well, you didn't you weren't raised in church, you didn't have a dad to call about these type of things. So why don't you give everybody maybe a context of how you came to know Christ and kind of where you where you've been and why we'd be editing books for me.
2: Okay, well, uh, again, I was raised in a Catholic family, uh, but did not have a relationship with the Lord, actually became an atheist at 15 to 22, got in the whole hippie counterculture movement, got saved hitchhiking through Northern California, 50 Mother's Day, because my prayers caught up with me, I was into drugs and very rebellious, and God got a hold of me in a marvelous way.
1: Dad, can you say that one more time? I don't know why it cut out, but tell me, tell the first line about
2: 50, your mother was praying for you? My mother uh, was a praying Catholic, never had a prayer partner. Uh, all five of her children were far from God. And so I was the first of her five children to come to the Lord. I came to the Lord on Mother's Day 50 years ago this May. And I was had not seen her in nine months. And then I got dramatically, powerfully converted, uh, was ordained an evangelist within six months, had that call in my life. And have spent 25 years pastoring, 20 years traveling as an itinerant minister. And and the area of ministering in the gifts of the Spirit, I saw people come who had a prophetic grace, but oftentimes the way they did it, uh, in my mind, I came out of atheism. Okay. So I was coming into Christianity with no religious either bent or background. And consequently, I, I wondered would Jesus do it that way? And so I ultimately did not, for the first nine years of my Christian life, really think I had a grace to be able to hear God clearly to share. got saved in 72. In 81, I was taking a shower one day, and God spoke to my heart in my inner man, not an audible voice, and said, I'm going to teach you how to to teach people how they can hear my voice. And um, my initial reaction was about the subject. And he affirmed that that was actually my credential, that he wanted to start from ground level. We then spent the next couple of years, a lot of fasting and prayer through all the gospels and the book of Acts, made a textbook about the gifts of the spirit, fruit of the spirit. And I already had done a seminar on evangelism that traveled around the world. Now I then did one on spirit led evangelism, how to hear the voice of God and minister gifts. At that point, I began to minister over people uh, at the services, over leadership groups, and then over the next 15 years, ministered over probably about 16,000 people individually in the gifts of the spirit, and then went into a full-time pastoring again.
1: So I want to take us back. That I mean, you just basically gave us 40 years of history in, a few, in about three minutes. But I want to go back to, and I hope you can hear me. I, I don't know. I feel like it might be breaking up a little, so let's hope it's not. But you said you were an atheist. You get radically saved in the Jesus movement. You watch people interact with supernatural things, but one—it sounded like one of your core values was authenticity. You didn't want to fake anything. Is that true? Is that what was that kind of part of the root?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I was already a skeptical, in-your-face atheist for five years of university. So if I met a Christian, I would chew them out. I would mock them. And so when I got converted, and it wasn't a religious experience, it was a supernatural experience of being delivered on uh, a dramatic way. And I just I began to read the Gospels. That was really my first introduction to uh, being a Christ follower. And uh, what I saw, I wanted then to replicate, uh, not from some kind of a stage or platform But just the way Jesus did, I didn't think that Jesus changed his voice when he began to minister and, you know, began, the Lord would minister to you. I I didn't feel God would do that, that he would minister in a genuine way. And that's really what I was looking for. Not everyone I saw, though, modeling in the 1970s, from my vantage point, was something I felt comfortable speaking in that way. That came out of their, their background. And so I just began to do it myself. No hype, no fluff. Uh, not trying to put on airs not changing my personality not changing my voice just make it more conversational and more natural
1: how did you know that you were hearing god because you i mean obviously you'd probably heard his voice when you got saved or you had at least an inclination but how did you know that you were hearing his voice
2: You, you know that obviously was a process but gradually i began to recognize that i had spiritual senses and if i sensed an unction for something it would require faith to step out the bible says we have the unction of the holy one god gives us tugs it's kind of like you know when you're fishing you know does that really is that a tug on the line and as i began to practice and that's really what we do that's what doctors do they practice on people i, I begin to share and all of a sudden I found there was a high degree of accuracy, not flawless, not 100%, but a high degree of accuracy, and all of a sudden, I just got into atmosphere that were charged with the presence of God, and began to flow in that, and then minutes turned, hours of sudden, uh, there was a comfortableness in sensing the point of clarity that I needed to minister.
1: Yeah, you said something really interesting, I think, and that is we... The, the idea of practicing, I think people, uh, I think that they want it to be perfect, not just to be seen as perfect, but they're thinking if I'm talking on behalf of God, I better know God saying this, or I'm going to make him look bad, or I'm going to, I'm going to look like a heretic, like, I, or, you know, I don't know. So that ability to practice and even for our listeners today. When we're talking about the gifts of the spirit, this isn't something where you receive a bike and when you get on that bike, you need to pedal perfectly and go as fast as it can go. I mean, you're getting on a bike and you're trying to see, okay, the pedal goes that way. Okay. My equilibrium. Okay. This is balance. So there's a part of this that you've never done this before. So you were never an expert in the gifts of the spirit right away. So calm way down, take it it's not as high stakes as we sometimes make it. It is a moment where we begin out of relationship to hear God's voice. And then the way we practice is we are not afraid to ask. And so that was something that I saw you do regularly. And I don't think a lot of prophets and prophetic people did that. You begin to ask people, did that speak to you? Was that accurate? Did you witness someone else doing that? Or was that something that you came up with?
2: Well, I, again, trying to move into it in a way that did not m- make myself hyper-spiritual or potentially going to cram something down into them, but just offer a thought. And so I would say things that really were more benign in how I approached them. You know, I had the thought when I was looking at you, blah, 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 blah. you know, I felt this, it, does that make any sense? Does that seem right to you? So I wasn't, it wasn't a force feeding. It was an offering. And then, oftentimes, when I stepped out and had that initial, uh, those initial words or sentences, God gave me more. And then, based upon their response, I would then add to it. But it became even not so much when I'm ministering when I was ministering in the public settings, but one-on-one with someone in a, a restaurant or a store or on the street, uh, it would be more conversational, just asking them, "Does that seem right?" And um, I would find that uh, people would respond. And uh, then I would, I guess, have more faith, you know, that as they said, yes, that's right, then God would give me more. And all of a sudden, we're off to the races.
1: Yeah, I love that. And like you said, it was practiced outside of a platform and a microphone, you're practicing with real life people in real situations and asking. I think what I witnessed in faith communities is this idea that I'm going to practice at high stake moments. And I just see people do this. And I think you're, you're basically making it the worst case scenario because instead of practicing with my neighbor or my child or my spouse, I'm practicing on a microphone in front of a hundred people. It's being recorded and now I'm going to try and your anxiety goes up, your fear goes up. Uh, maybe even the thing you think you should be doing or saying you can't really get to because it's not the best case scenario. So I I always say you are going to need to find low stake environments and situations to begin to practice the skill. So when you are at the big leagues and you may never be in the world series, that's okay. It wasn't meant you should do it for the love of the game, not for the winning of the game. Right. Right. But, but there, there is this part where we just we just do it at high stakes moments. So I love that you were a preacher before you were a prophet, right?
2: Again, I would never refer to myself as a prophet. I, I was an evangelist initially. Then I pastored against my will for four and a half years as the Jesus movement ended. And they needed a safe sheriff. We had a community of 75 people. It was not doing well. And they needed someone to go in there and just kind of get it back on the right track. Uh, but I wanted to be an evangelist and then wound up pastoring for a few years then traveled as an evangelist. And all, the, all of a sudden began to then uh, minister in the gifts of the spirit in meetings. And then people would refer to me in various ways. I, I personally did not find a lot of help putting a label on somebody. I more I saw them more as functions. Then labels, yeah, I was functioning prophetically, functioning pastorally, functioning apostolically. I'm not an intercessor, but we had a house of prayer 14 years. So at times I was functioning as an intercessor. But these are just, I I think it's better for me to be able to say the Holy Spirit gives gifts to us, but it's him working through us as opposed to me putting on this uh, moniker that I am suddenly this title or this, Um, Grace is on my life. I have also found as I've, you know, had 50 years really of ministry, that certain seasons, I am more this or that or certain moments, I've got a toolbox of various options. And so there are times I may be functioning more pastorally. Other times I'm praying for people. Other times I'm hearing from God for them. So uh, I, I think that continue, allows you to have a continuous dependency upon God, as opposed to assuming you have the gift. He has the gift and he wants to flow through me.
1: Yeah, I love that because it really does create a dependency on him. It's not just a uh, high five. I got it. I'll see you later. It's okay. I'm ready. Tell me what you want me to say. It's It's a bit of a telephone game rather than memorizing it and going away. It's like, okay, what do you say? What do you say next? Okay, what do you say next? And there really is this like communication. I love that. I love that reality. You know, you and I have been talking about this. And one of the things that we both have seen in our ministry, I know you've been in vocational ministry for I want to say 50 years, 45 years.
2: Pretty close. Yeah. 45. Yeah. Eight years. Yeah.
1: And I've been in uh, vocational ministry for about 22 full time, but about 25 in real in in life. And what we have found is there is something about the tangible presence of the Holy Spirit that can do and be more than we could ever do or give or be on the earth. And it's every time we've seen significant life altering moments, whether it's in worship, prayer, preaching, on the streets, somewhere, it has to do with the gifts of the spirit being activated. Now, for our listeners, some of you might not know what that is. You might think, is that a prophet? Is that an evangelist? Are you talking about just being a, just prophesying? And what we're really talking about and what Joel talked about last week is we're talking about in the book of Corinthians, the letter of Corinthians that was written to the, the church of Corinth. He, Paul was telling them, listen, there's going to be gifts that the Holy Spirit are going to give you, and they were gifts of grace, and these gifts were not given on merit. They were given out of the graciousness of God to help us, to give to us, and these gifts are nine specific gifts. Now, I don't want you to be confused, because if you start to study this, you might take a spiritual gifts test, and there's a lot of gifts. In fact, there's probably more gifts than are on that test. Yes, you're right. We, for sake of time and energy, and for the sake of wanting to educate you at least on a portion of this, we decided to take the nine spiritual gifts that Paul referenced in this chapter. And that's it. We just kept it at these nine. There are other gifts he mentions in other letters. You can do your research. You can dive deep. uh, But we're talking about the nine spiritual gifts, and they are the words of wisdom word of knowledge, prophecy. I'm going to get this right. My brain. So those are your, um, your hearing gifts. And then um, you've got your uh, gifts of discernment, um, signs and faith, gift of faith, gift of discernment, and your uh, gifts of miracles. I'm going to get this right. And then you've got your, uh, my brain. Do you, do you know them all dad? Help me.
2: I know them all, but you, you put them in Three I put them in different categories. categories I know so Which there's power wonderful. gifts it's...
1: the power gifts the that so you you have a different set so you yeah. teach me how did you structure them
2: well uh, again what we actually did was we went through the gospels and we looked at when Jesus functioned in those gifts we already had a definition of them the book of acts the same way and then we began to see you know that's a word of wisdom he solved met With wisdom, word of knowledge. He had facts, information about someone that he did not naturally know, a prophecy. He spoke from God's heart for them, perhaps futuristically, but he spoke in a prophetic vein. We then began to categorize all those things, and we began to see that the most prevalent gift, even as the Bible says wisdom is the principal thing, that wisdom was the most prevalent gift as it became in my own life. That very often you don't have to do a miracle to meet a need. You can just have a word of wisdom, you have a word of insight. And many, and many times, and people, I would say this to any believer: the Holy Spirit is speaking to us regularly, and we may just think it was a neat thought. Well, maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was a, a gift given to us via the Holy Spirit to meet a problem or need to answer a question or you look at someone and maybe you'll see fear or worry or uh, or some kind of pressure and as you begin to step into that all of a sudden you realize it was connected to a marriage and then you're you're off to the races you're going forward in that but we looked at what Jesus did because that really with a body of Christ if he allowed that to be seen in his public ministry in the gospels then there's some kind of a pattern now there's only like 13 specific miracles that Jesus did that were recorded he did many more than that of course but the point is we think there's going to be a plethora of miracles they're going to be far more common than we see and in reality they were there's more healings than miracles there's more words of wisdom than words of knowledge and so once you see them broken down in that way it takes the pressure off I'm just trying to flow in the spirit Uh, whatever the meeting the need may be that's what I want to do. I don't have an attachment to a certain gift. I'm not trying to impress God or be something that, that's grand. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the author and finisher. he gets all the glory of respect. it's like radiation. so I want to be a pen in his hand. I want it to flow through me and if if I can just sometimes a hug. I mean I remember as a pastor I loved it uh, but just standing out in front and hugging people now I also whenever I heard a need, I would ask if I could pray. I remember in some of the services, I would say, how many of you ever had me pray for you? And the whole room would raise their hand. And all I was doing was they just mentioned a need. Hey, can we just stop for a moment and pray? That is supernatural. Sometimes in that prayer, a word of wisdom came, word of knowledge, prophecy, or just a big, giant, loving hug from God that I see you, I empathize with where you are, and we're going to agree together that God would touch this area in your life or your family.
1: Yeah. And I love that. And yes, you've always been that way from my childhood. You've always prayed for people, whether it's uh, in the grocery store, whether it's at the airport, when someone has a need, the first thing you do is, can I pray for you? And people rarely don't want you to. I mean, there are some people that, well, that's totally fine. You're not going to force feed them, but you do have always operated. And I think that's the the premise is I'm not happening. I'm coming to serve you. And if the gifts happen as I serve you, it's very different than, will you be a witness to me happening? Yeah. That's the disconnect, right? And that's where I see, and Joel talked about a little last week, it weaponizes the gifts of the Spirit rather than serves and stays low and, and lets God use you as a humble servant. You're now becoming a minor Christian celebrity and acting like it's your moment. And I want to say, now, let me get this right. We all deserve death, right? We all, we all are sinners saved by grace, right? Like, let's all be clear that nothing of what we're doing on the earth is changing our value. It's, change, it's changing our effectiveness, but it's not changing our value. So I wanted to go back for a minute. I had a chance to gather my thoughts. But the way that we put it in my brand new Bible study, which is coming out in January, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, I'd like to know more about this. We have put together a brand new 15 day Bible study, and it's called Discovering and Activating My Spiritual Gifts, Discovering and Activating My Spiritual Gifts, a 15 day study to help you identify and understand your unique spiritual gifts. This is a 15 day study. We're going to sit at my kitchen table, January 1st. We're going to give you a spiritual gifts test. so You know exactly what the gift is that God's given you or gifts, multiple gifts. And then we're going to help identify them and activate them in a practical, everyday, don't have to be a pastor, don't have to be a theologian to activate your gifts of grace. The way that we structured it in the book to help you is that there are gifts. It's the, the, the no say and do gifts, the no say and do gifts. The no gifts are your word of wisdom, your word of knowledge, and your discernment. Discernment is either discerning something good or something bad, but you know the motive behind something then you have your say gifts which is your prophetic you prophesy and it also includes uh your tongues and interpretation which is a spiritual language and then someone interpreting that when you talk about that i know it's crazy you gotta read it to know what we'd say about it and then it's your power gifts your do gifts and those are your gifts of faith uh healing and signs and wonders and so we part we've really taken all nine of them and we put them in sections of three and we'll help you discover them so as you as something you mentioned before and i want to make sure we revisit you studied the life of jesus in fact um you wrote a book which i have right here called uh complete evangelism uh finding the pieces of evangelism together and this was a spirit led evangelism in fact i might be so bold us to grab this one which is here as well and this is spirit led evangelism so what were the difference between rather than other than weight and
2: size yeah the the um spirit led evangelism was the second course i did the first one was glad tiding school of evangelism and so the complete evangelism kind of combined the glad tiding school and spirit led so what you had and in so
1: your,
2: this that's the yes, it, that's In the spirit led, and it's not published anymore, but when I traveled with that, uh, it had in it the Gospels and the book of Acts broken down, percentages, storyline, et cetera, so people could see, even with charts and things, right, that, man, Jesus was functioning, apparently, in this gift, in this fruit. And then an overall picture, you begin to see, wow, uh, I don't have to put pressure on myself about doing more than Jesus did. I just want to flow with him. Another thought I would just say, uh, you know, the greatest home run hitters were also great striker outers. They they muffed a lot. Now, in that season, when I was ministering over 16,000 people over almost 15 years, even though there was a high percentage in the high 90s of accuracy, there was sometimes I missed it. And they were painful misses for me because, I, you know, there were people... That took a word that was not completely accurate. Even though, again, sometimes it'd be 100% in one night, it seemed like it was incredible, but God always allowed that. So I would meet with national leaders and saying, you know, should I be doing this? Because I'm not seeing 100%. And they never really gave me a, a clear enough answer other than affirming, you know, you're doing great. You're, you know, You're touching a lot of lives. During that season, God never gave me a clear answer as to why I would miss sometimes. When I stopped doing that, moved into pastoring, he then spoke clearly. He was ready to tell me Mm. that it was to keep you humble. It made you dependent all the time that you knew you could miss it. You were caring for my people and everything you did or say to them would have an impact. And I I could cry right now because it made me feel just the delicacy. I'm handling someone that is going to take that and again, I want them to judge it, prove all things, hold fast, that which is good. It wasn't a force feeding, but, but there was impact at times where people would take a word and it would change their life. I get even now, many years later, decades later, I still get probably once a week or so, a conversation, a text, someone on Facebook says, I remember you gave me a word or your daughters gave me a word that the gifts of the spirit. For, for decades, continue to bounce around in people's lives. And so it's a holy thing. But when we mess up, we ask forgiveness. I remember, you know, I was ministering in Germany, and I prayed over this couple that we're going to have a child. I prayed a blessing over the child. They then uh, sent me a letter saying that she had a miscarriage. I mean it was it was I wept over it and just mm. sent them, you know communicated back asking their forgiveness and, and it wasn't I wasn't being arrogant or cocky as I ministered it was a delicate thing as I ministered and frankly I found I remember I was ministering at a large church in Dallas that was a pretty conservative church but they let me go through the congregation on a Sunday morning I think and at the end during lunch the pastor said That was the most conservative ministry of the gifts I had seen. Now, um, he was saying that, I think, in a safe way, but I received it as I'm going, yeah, I'm ministering over people, okay? I'm not here to just go, you know, parading through here, you know, and and then leave, and there's all kinds of carnage left. These are precious people. So I would say this, when you blow it, ask Mm forgiveness— I remember walking up to a guy in a restaurant. And I walk up a lot of people in restaurants and airports and different things, and I, I got up, walked over, and I said, um, "Are you are you battling with cancer right now?" And he said, "No." And so I'm <laughs> important cancer at that time. I felt it was important. No. I just said, you know Do you want cancer? <laughs> I'm sorry to disturb your lunch there, and I just had that impression and I left it alone. But the point was. Um, yes. Was it humbling? Of course. None of us right. want to experience that. And it didn't happen all the time. But when it happened, it dialed up my concern. This is a holy thing you're doing, Francis. Uh, walk humbly. Walk lowly. I'll give you one more thought. Here's a sequence of hearing God's voice. In James, it says this, the wisdom from above is first pure. That means we have to have a heart that is right, not perfect. My heart's not flawless. First pure, then peaceable calm down we have to calm our spirit down i found if i'd go to a place and there was a great response they'd invite me back and all of a sudden there was an intensity in the room Expectation. They to, yeah they want me to minister in the gifts and i would never minister in the gifts before i ministered in the word because we have a more sure word of prophecy so i always preach before i ministered in the gifts and so sometimes you know you're you're waiting before the light for minutes 10 minutes 20 minutes we're just waiting on god and I would say, Lord, I'm not going to do anything until mm-hmm. you show up. So pure, peaceable, then a gentle tug, the Bible says, a gentle tug comes. And then the issue is, am I willing to yield? Am I willing to respond to that? You know, one of the stories I tell was about this girl who came, she had, you know, a, a serious spinal disorder when she came forward for healing. And when I looked at her I began to pray over her, uh, I just said these words, pop, 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 pop. That was it. And I blew my gun, put it back in my pocket. <laughs> and you feel somewhat like an idiot. That's all I had. And then gave her a hug and prayed for her, but that was it. Two years later, I'm in a public setting. She sees me. I see her. I recognize her. And my initial thought was oh boy, here comes the sugar pop kid. And I don't know if I helped her. I have no idea if what I did was. Any value. She's smiling, coming forward to see me. She says, oh, I saw you here and I couldn't wait to tell you. After that, I went to a doctor and I have that many vertebrae out. And I'm believing that God, all of a sudden she's sharing as if it was the greatest blessing in her life. And again, I walked away from that going, you know, Lord, <laughs> we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power might be of God and not of us. Uh, you know, I didn't have to feel good about it. I just had to do the right thing. But somehow in, in my awkwardness, it ministered.
1: Oh, that's incredible. And yeah, it's terrifying when you say you are you had to get up there and say that. Like, don't, you know, people think, is there like this special thing that comes on you where you're willing to do anything and you don't feel anything? I'm like, no. Every emotion and experience that you have in your everyday life, you're having at the moment, whether I'm preaching to thousands of people, I can still feel insecure, overwhelmed, afraid, all of that. It's not, yes, the anointing does make the difference, which means you can get more reliant upon His grace to right. carry you and you stop taking yourself so seriously and you start taking Him more seriously, and that's better but I would almost relate it. And you and I haven't talked about this, but whatever propensities you have in real life to blow it, you probably will have the same propensities in the grace of God. So meaning if I'm impulsive and I tend to jump the gun and I tend to not get the full word or the full message in the gifts of grace, those propensities and tendencies are still there. So I have to go, you know what? I'm a real person. God created me as a whole person with him. And so now I know I'm impulsive. I have a tendency to not get the whole word. I have a tendency to maybe be a little bit rough with somebody. So that helps me know, okay, slow down. Some of you, you might have fear. And so maybe your prophetic words come out as fear messages and fear and concern and caution. And so you've got to know, okay, wait, I have a tendency to be fearful. So instead of being afraid or imparting fear, I'm going to impart faith. So you got to go on the opposite, but whatever your propensity is, I, I think I tend to think, that that's not that you're missing it. It's just the form of humanity that you're in. Uh, but I, I just love that it takes so much courage. So let me ask you, as you have learned about the gifts, do they still operate in your life? And I know you're not often on a mic and a platform as much as you were for so many years, decades and decades. Now you're more on a radio and on video. Do you still operate in the gifts of spirit? And What would you say to those that, Now you've done platform prophetic and ministering your spirit. And now you've done without,
2: how has it felt? And what's been the difference for you? Okay. Well, let me go back again to that sequence and I'll tie it in. Pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield. And then it says full of mercy. So very often God will put someone in our heart. We'll have compassion for them. And then we can reach out. So now I may reach out a phone call or a text. Or I see them, maybe I don't know them, and I reach out. Like we just, I just this morning walked over. We have a neighbor down the street, not our direct neighbor. We don't know them very well. But we saw them on the street one day, and they mentioned that their dog of 14 years died. Well, mom and I went out. I can cry right now because it's emotional. We we love our dog. You love your dogs, right? You had a dog that passed away. He's at my
1: foot. He's at my foot right now. At my feet. My
2: feet. I have two. I have two. You had two. I have two
1: two feet. feet. I said, he's at my foot. And then I realized, no, he's at my
2: feet. Sorry. So They had a dog that died after 14 years. So mom and I got a plant for them and a little card Mm. and just put it outside their house, maybe a couple hours ago. So the point is that's an unction that I said to Susie, you know, um, why don't we get them a plant, you know? And the point is that's happening on a regular basis. It may not have the scope uh, in terms of the quantity of people, But all of it is important. So willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruit. Uh, And then it says in James, without partiality. That means I'm not attached to ministering a certain way. Obviously, pop, pop, pop was an example of that. And without hypocrisy. That means when I blow it, I ask forgiveness. So I'm not here coming in as the man of paste and flour. I'm coming in a low low level and in a humble way, acknowledging when I'm wrong. And, you know, not force feeding people, but encouraging them. And then the Bible says this, this is probably the key to the whole thing, that the fruit of uh, peace is sown in peace. So that means our entire ministry, I never want to go beyond the bounds of peace. The Bible says that God is not the author of confusion. So peace will motivate me to go. Confusion will, will make me know to stop. Now, the, the difference is, and the, the third ingredient that really became actually a help to me was that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. And so whenever I was afraid, even though in the early innings you may back off, as I studied the Word and began to step out, I realized that fear, God has not given us the spirit of fear, a power, love, and of a sound mind. The Bible says there's no fear in love, and God is love. So God will never motivate us through fear. So whenever... Uh, fear came in i identified that as the devil trying to stop me now confusion makes me stop peace makes me go but fear makes me recognize he's he's tipped his hand that's a tell he's trying to get me afraid well i'm not going to give in to fear yeah i'm going to dive in if fear is the issue then i'm going to go forward in faith confusion shut down and wait until it's clear peace of god let the peace of god rule in your heart the bible says let it umpire let it judge let it guide you and then if fear comes in i, I love it actually now if i'm afraid you know that's actually an incredible- i know
1: game on yep Come on. game on and I, I agree with you when i start to feel intimidation and fear and i'm like i love i love to talk about the devil at that point i'm like if you're okay you're gonna you're gonna try to shut me down. then you're gonna get talked about. You're gonna gossip about me, then i'm gonna I'm gonna call you out. It, it's this kind of, and that could be the fighter in us, the Italian mafia side of us. Uh, but there is a part that you're not gonna intimidate me. Like I've worked too hard and come too far, and God has done too much to shut me up because that person over there, I don't think's gonna like me. Like come on. Like, did Jesus die on the cross so I can be afraid of what my neighbor thinks of me? Like, no. So there is a level of, and, and again, that doesn't come from approving, it comes from a compassion that says people need help. I'm not going to worry about, do, do nurses worry about what their scrubs look like? No. Good nurses are not worried about their hair and their nails and their scrubs. They care about the activity of what's happening to help someone. And as ministers, you know, we get, we get miss, messed up in this or all of a sudden we're adjusting. I, it was funny, I'll just say this, but I had uh, Kaylin with me on this trip and we went to this beautiful church in Detroit, this Italian family, gorgeous 40-year-old church, and they treated us like royalty. I mean, they were just so kind and gracious and generous. And so Kaylin's never been with me on a trip before. And so we get into the hotel room and I said, so what did you think? And she said, well, first of all, I wanna go on every trip with you, which (laughs) this is like an amazing experience. But then she said, I can see how this could get to your head. And then she said, and I watch you talk to every person you came to, you hugged, you greeted, you you talked to the security guy. You treated everybody as warm and as kind and as gracious as you could. And I said, and she goes, I know why you did that to stay grounded and intentional. And I looked at her, I said, yeah, you said it better than I would have thought it, but there is nothing elevating me from anybody else in this space. We are all the exact same child of God. And even if I get maybe elevated because of a spiritual gift, it does not ever speak to my value. My value is the same. And so it's the same with the gifts of the spirit. If I only am willing to prophesy when I have a mic, if I'm only willing to pray for the sick when I'm at church or somebody cares, if I'm only willing to give when people get to notice and I only put the offering in the offering bucket when the neighbor next to me sees me, then the motive is so wrong. God's like, I'd rather you keep your money. I'd rather you keep your prayers of healing because the spirit in which we operate needs to be humility and servant and Jesus and all of that. And so I love, I felt like that's probably what you modeled most to me growing up in the gifts of the spirit. We, I was in green rooms with prop people that were very well known. And there was an era error. There was a attitude. There was a but, you know, and Again, I don't fault them sometimes because it is hard to be in a public eye. It is difficult when people are scrutinizing everything you do. It is difficult to minister. You can't have a bad day sometimes as ministers and leaders. So I, I don't fault them for that. But there is something that I watch you just gently and humbly just stay very attuned to your identity in Christ and the value of the gifts and that they were assignments. They were not your identity. That was critical.
2: You know, also I would say have, if someone lives a long time, like by the grace of God, I'm a healthy person. I'll be 73 in February. I'm expecting to live many years. I've looked at your kids and all Deborah's kids and said, I'm going to dance at your weddings. I'm going to hold you right. in my arms. So I want to be around a while now. As you get older, your influence diminishes. So I, I'm not speaking to thousands of people anymore. And And so if your identity was in, you know, the yes. public per se, then you're gonna feel worse as you get older. Well, my identity is in an audience of one. I've always been ministering, whether I knew it or not, uh, to an audience of one. And that's really what God is wanting is for us to do as under the Lord. And that's why He only did what He saw so his father do. So I wanna be able to, even at this hour, I, you know, Billy Graham, I was at a conference um, that he had for evangelists in 1983 in Amsterdam. And five thousand of us uh, came. Uh, that's almost forty years ago. And um, wow. we're in a large auditorium. And he was asked the question, "Do you ever get nervous before you minister?" And he said, "Always. Uh, I'm always nervous, and I'm nervous if I'm not nervous." And the reality is, it's that delicacy. We, you know, we are holding lives in our hands, and it takes real humility to walk in that and not, you know, have an air. Now, as I get older, candidly, uh, I'm not hitting every time I you know, we just played football, you know, at Thanksgiving a few days ago. And, uh, you know, I'm not doing any end runs at all. Okay, they give me the ball uh, to your husband, I threw him three passes. Only problem was they were three interceptions that he made. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I threw three passes. They didn't have the length that I was hoping for. The point <laughs> is, we will, you know, it's like a double curve. You have this season and you're yeah. still in this rising curve. But at some point, as you get older, the reality is, you know, you'll be then uh, training others, if you will, even you're doing it now, but you're still in that, you know, that sweet, magnificent season. But God willing, if you live very long in your 60s and 70s and 80s, I mean, you know, it's, it's a narrower path, uh, but it's all magnificent. Paul said, I minister by many or by few. Uh, At the end of it, he's in a jail cell ministering uh, to the praetorian guard. That's right. Guarding him.
1: That's exactly right. And the crowd will never be right ever about us, whether they praise us or they curse us. You know, Hosanna one day, Barabbas the next. So like we, you know, we're not the ones that make have said this or created this idea. But if we rise on the praise of men, we'll fall on the praise of men. And so, uh, you know, for me, the way that I stay grounded and for our listeners today that are like, oh, mine is I have a congregation of four. My congregation is four boys and I'm raising them and discipling them. I sometimes speak to thousands of people, but they're not my congregation. My authentic walk with Christ and discipleship happens at the kitchen table. And for many of us, it'll be our coworkers. It'll be our sister. It'll be our parents. It might be our little youth group of 12 or 15 guys. I attended youth groups of 12 and 15, sometimes it was 10. And then my twin sister and I came and it was 12. That was very normal. I did not grow up in mega churches. I did not grow up in full rooms. You never know who's in the room. And the goal is that you authentically show up and treat every person like a king or queen because you don't know who's there. And, you know, I hope one day. If we really are gonna live this out, we want people to pass us. We want our feelings to be their floors because we need a whole other generation reached and we need them to be set up to reach their generation. And that's important. And we got to move over to let other people do that. So, Dad, I love you. Thank you for being on today's podcast. Uh, thank you for helping me write every word, not write, but look at every word of this book. I wanna make sure that people don't think you co-authored this because that would be not, that
2: would not give glory where glory's due. Could I say one more thing, Have Again, I've watched you since you were a young lady, and I remember you wanted to do something. And I'd say, Hathalie, you're not ready to do that. <laughs> yeah. Your sentence was, I can do it, Dad. I can do it, Dad. So you jumped in, sometimes had mashed potatoes in the deal, but you stepped out. I just want to commend you, uh, even watching the courses you have done, how to write a book, how to prepare a message, how to preach a message, how to go online, how to minister in the gifts. Sweetheart, I never did most of these things. And it's intimidating for me to think about doing these things. So you have stepped up, stepped out, and really, to your generation, really been willing to do things that you might not feel kind. And again, in this particular one that you did, this was a painful time. I watched you. You know, I'm getting texts from you at 5 in the morning. And uh, you, you really muscled your way through and said it was one of the hardest things you've ever done because it involved a lot of theological heavy lifting, not just experiential stories, but you you really have been a champion and I believe a, a hero in your generation mm-hmm. to be willing to step out and do something that requires everything. Now, thank God a little Selah is happening hopefully soon. You can get into a little Christmas spirit, but um, you you have really modeled for me our uh, willingness to do whatever it takes uh, to obey the Holy Spirit and commend you for that. I'm honored. Thanks, to be Dad. At- you do that i
1: i appreciate and it was the hardest book i've written by far and and it was difficult because i actually was ignorant on some of these things and so i wasn't just trying to find words for something i knew i was learning it alongside of writing it and trying to make it as palatable or like as normal and for anybody who's who's doing this and in a probably a biblically illiterate world, and yeah. that I understand that, and I i get that. So, if this you're gonna
2: help a lot of people, this book, I'm telling you, in this Jesus' Bible name, study. it is really because there's a whole generation they have gifts in them that are either undeveloped, lying dormant, they don't know. And, and when you step out, when you begin to do something you've never done before, you're gonna see results and go, Wow. I and mean, again, I didn't do it for the first nine years I was a Christian, but once I began to practice this like spiritual muscle, the more I began to use that muscle, it's still alive and well now for decades.
1: That's right. And you know what? I wouldn't want to do ministry without it. I wouldn't want to do life without it. I wouldn't want to be married without it. I wouldn't want to parent without it. Uh, I need the gifts, of the spirit, the gifts of grace. Uh, we all do. It makes life a whole lot more fun and it does give us something we cannot do on our own. The supernatural makes our natural so much more palatable. So dad, I love you. Thanks for helping me on this, on this podcast and also with this book. And I know we will have many more conversations about this either at the dinner table or on a podcast or somewhere else, but
0: I love you. And um, yeah, until next time. Ciao, ciao. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. We know you loved it just as much as we did. We are so thankful for Francis' legacy and how he has impacted Havila's life and the call that they both walk in. Make sure you share this episode, take a screenshot of your favorite part, post it on social media, and tag us at Truth to Table and at Havilah Cunnington. We would love to share it. Leave us a five-star written review. That helps more people see the show, and we are so thankful for all our faithful listeners. Make sure you go sign up for Havilah's free study, spiritualgiftstudy.com. And go grab the book at the pre-order price right now so that you can discover and activate the spiritual gifts in your life.